This morning, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're walking through this book as a church, and we've been spending the last few weeks in chapter 1, and then today uh, we're walking into chapter 2. And the, reason, and the reason that we're walking through this book, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that we have in the Scriptures, um, the reason we're looking at it is because three of the major themes that, uh, that Paul writes about in these, in these few chapters in this book have a great deal to do with the church today. Not only Summit Church, but the Big C Church, the greater church around us. And a couple of those are joy, right? So, so he talks about joy throughout this book. And, 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 um, and, and so, and so we're, we're going we're gonna to be talking about joy. And you know, what would it look like if the church was known for its joy? Right? That when you walked into this place, you just knew that there was such a joy, there was such a contentment with where we are. Man, it would be a beautiful thing, wouldn't it? And not only, not only the week after the Patriots win, right? Another theme that Paul spends a lot of time talking about is unity. Unity. Right? Unity. In fact, he talked last week in, in verse 27, we, we looked at you know, striving side by side for the gospel and how that was an athletic term back in this time and how Paul was talking about just like a team striving side by side, right? And we've seen that with March Madness. I don't know if you guys have followed March Madness, but this whole Loyola thing, right? Who knew about Sister Jean four weeks ago? Right? But now we all, most of us, know about... You, you did? Okay. There's one in every crowd. Okay. Um, but, but, uh, but, you know, the, the, this, the, and I was so bummed to see him go down last night. I was so bummed. But anyway, okay. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and so that, that striving side by side, right? And then today, we're going to look at the third major theme that Paul talks about. He talks about some other things in his letter to the church at Philippi, but the third major one that we're going to spend a lot of time on today is humility. It's humility. And the reason I have my hands tied together, some of you may be wondering that, right? In the first service, they didn't do it near this tight. But this is like one of my big, the guy that did this, he was like, do you want them in the front or the back? I was like, <laughs> front, front, <laughs> mainly because I got to be, right? No, but um, the, the, reason, the reason for this today is because what's the opposite of humility? Pride, right? The opposite of humility is pride. And what I want to look at today is how pride shackles us. How pride cripples us. How pride um, is really at the root of everything, I believe, that we would be struggling with this morning. Pride is a human tendency. It's a human tendency, and it shows up in all areas of our lives. It shows up in all areas of our lives, and if it's left unaddressed, it can stop us from experiencing God's best. Pride can keep us from experiencing God's best best. Pride will shackle our lives, but humility, what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, is the key to free us from pride. So we're going to talk about that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 together. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along with us on the screen. 
But Paul says this to the church of Philippi in chapter 2, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3, highlight this, underline this. We're going to come back and we're going to spend a lot of time here in verse 3, but he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why Easter? Why this thing? I mean, this morning um, at 6.15, I pulled up to Narragansett School. We videoed the first service. We're not videoing this service, so I can walk around a lot more this service. So you guys are in big trouble, right? But at 6.15, I pulled up to Narragansett School for our sunrise service. We, we joined with Galilee this morning, and it was a sweet time. We had 67 people out there. Um, it, was, it was cold. It was colder than it is right now um, outside, and and uh, but but we had a great 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 time of worship, um, and, and Mark Labaz, who's the outreach pastor over at uh, Galilee, gave a gave a sweet message, and then they, man, they laid out the spread. If you if you left hungry from breakfast this morning um, that Galilee put together for us, uh, then you and I need to spend a lot more time together because um, you're not doing it right. Um, but. Uh, but, but it was just a joyful time um, to be together this morning. It was a joyful time to be together in our first service. And so far, it's been awesome to be together for you. But my question is, why? I mean, why do we do this? Why, why, you know, why Easter? Why this thing? Right? Why this day? Why this weekend where you know, there were services on Thursday nights, there were services on Friday night, there were Easter egg hunts yesterday, and time of remembrances yesterday, time of preparations, time of silence, you know, all these different things that fill this weekend. And we all have different things that kind of mark this weekend, this Easter weekend for us. You know, whether it is dress a little bit different, right? Or, 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 or you know, eat a bunch of ham or, you know, which let me know what time I need to be there today, okay? But, but you know, we all have these different things, right, that we kind of do. But why? Why? And we did this on Friday night, but in case you weren't here, I want to kind of catch you up to speed with this whole thing so that we're on the same page as we look at the things that Paul talks about here with Jesus. Why? Because without today, without what we're celebrating today, remembering today, honoring today, whatever word you want to put there, without today, we're still hopeless. 
You know, when I, when I, when I walk around, and everybody, everybody wants to talk about, you know, and, 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 and hear me here, hear me out here. Everybody wants to talk about, you know, our culture and how bad things are and, you know, and, 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 and this and that with, with stuff. And listen, listen I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you, but, but throughout all of history, there's been two groups of people. Hopeless, hopeful. Okay? Hopeless, hopeful. No matter the status of our culture, no matter who's sitting in office, no matter what this, no matter what that, no matter what, it's all boiled down to two groups of people. Hopeless, hopeful. And that is the difference that we celebrate this weekend because we're hopeful as people of Jesus Christ because of the cross. The entire Old Testament the entire Old Testament was searching for a sacrifice worthy enough to pay our debt as people. And they couldn't find it. But then, Jesus comes on the scene. Right? As we talked about Friday night, if you were here for Good Friday, He lived 33 and a half perfect sinless years and then He dies a sinner's death on a cross is buried, right? Buried, right? And then and then and then three days later he rises again. He walks out, right? That's what we're celebrating today. He's risen. He's risen indeed, right? So you see, I mean this thing just works like clockwork. Yeah? But but do we know why? Do we get why? Do we remember why? Right? He steps out, the tomb is still empty, right? And, you know, that's a great knock knock joke, right? Knock knock, who's there? Ain't nobody in there. <laughs> right? He's it's empty. The tomb's empty, right? <laughs> that that didn't happen in first service. <laughs> We're posting this service <laughs> online. <laughs> we need a video. Okay, anyway, but um, but you know, he's risen, right? He he walked out of there, he spent 40 days with his disciples, the apostles, about 140 of his closest friends and then acts one he ascends into heaven to go and prepare a place for us why so that we could live in hope for eternity with him forever that with him in relationship with him with him and that's the difference between hopeless and hopeful is the message of the cross the burial and the resurrection He goes to prepare a place for us. I love the way that Paul talks about Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul's writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, and he says to the church at Ephesus, he says, imitate Christ, imitate Jesus, therefore, as his dear children. He's writing a letter to the church. He's writing a letter to a group of Christians. He's writing a letter to church people, and he's saying, listen, imitate Jesus. And there's four things that Paul points out here in Philippians chapter 2 that are worth imitating. There's four things here about Jesus' life in Philippians chapter 2 that I believe, if we imitate, will lead us on a path toward humility and not pride. And the first is this. Paul in chapter 2 verse 5 and 6, he says this, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
The first thing is this about Jesus. He thinks of others, not himself. Jesus thinks of others, not himself. You may be sitting here this morning, you may say, oh, Pastor Travis, check. I've got that one. I think of others. Oh, really? When's the last time you were at a buffet? And there was that last piece of pizza, and it's your favorite kind of pizza. How many people were you thinking about in that moment? I can tell you for me, none. 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 I can tell you right now, that piece of pizza is mine. Mine. I'm going to a buffet for lunch. I'm going to probably struggle with this message here in about 45 minutes when I walk up there because it's hip check. Right? You gotta get, you gotta jockey for position, you gotta get to where you're supposed to get. Some of you are like, this is ridiculous. I don't have that same issue. Okay, put it in this in a different context, but it's the same thing. My my spiritual gift is food. Yours isn't. That's okay, right? (laughs) We all have different giftings and we're all wired differently. But in certain areas of our life, we don't think about others first. Jesus thinks of others, not himself. Maybe it's in the area of money. Maybe it's in the area of career advancement. Maybe it's in the, you know, whatever it may be for you. No doubt, each one of us is sitting in this room this morning struggles with thinking of others over ourselves. Jesus, having this mind among yourselves, right? Jesus stepped out of heaven. This was the first of two times in this passage where he humbles himself. He steps out of heaven and he thinks of others, not himself. He was thinking of us. Right? Did not think equality with God a thing to be grasped, but then verse 7 made himself nothing, right? Taking the form of a servant. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of of men. Not only does Jesus think of others and not himself, but Jesus serves. Jesus serves. Jesus emptied himself, laying aside the independent use of his own attributes as God. He didn't have to, but he came, he became a human in a sinless physical body, and then he took that sinless physical body and he used it to serve. He used it to make Himself the lowest of the low, to wash people's feet, to serve in the most disgusting and lowest ways. Not only did He think of others, not Himself, but He served. He served. That's why I believe we're no more like Jesus than when we're serving. We're no more like Jesus than when we're setting our preferences aside and saying, you know what, this may not be my favorite, this may not be my thing, but God's glorified as I'm serving. As I'm serving. So Jesus thinks of others, not Himself. He serves. And then look at verse 8. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself again. Right? Humility number 2. Humbled Himself by by being... By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not only did he step out of heaven, 
He made Himself low. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus sacrifices. Jesus thinks of others, not Himself. Jesus serves. And then Jesus sacrifices. Many of us are willing to serve Right, As long as it doesn't cost us anything. As long as it fits into our schedule. As long as it works for us and doesn't inconvenience us too much, we can serve. We can contribute. But when it takes sacrifice, wait a minute, that's a different story. I once heard a preacher say, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes something. He sacrificed. It cost him his life to separate hopeless, hopeful. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. And then look at verses 9-11. through 11. What a beautiful section of Scripture here. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to glory to the glory of God the Father. Jesus glorifies God. Jesus devoted His life to point everything that He did to Daddy, to Father, to glorify His Father on this earth. He models humility and that He thought of others, not Himself, He served, He sacrificed, and He glorified God. He glorified God. This is God inviting us into a partnership, right? With Him, where we step out of our worlds and into His. So I want to step back. I want to step back. I want to look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Okay? I want us to look at Philippians 2, chapter 3, because there's a positive chapter 2, verse 3. There's a positive, there's a negative, there's a turning point. There's a positive, there's a negative, there's a turning point. Okay, so now we're going to get to wh- how this applies to our life. Okay? That's all the inf- that's not all the information. We could probably spend weeks and weeks and weeks on Philippians chapter 2 when it comes to information. But that's all the information that we're going to kind of look at this morning from the context of this passage. But now I want, to, I want us to start looking at how this applies to our life. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Positive, negative, turning point. Let's start with the good news, bad news. Let's start with the bad news. Right? The negative. Right? It's not really bad news. It's just the negative. Right? We'll start with the negative. Paul says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. What does nothing mean? Empty. Nothing. 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 Nothing means nothing. If you look at the meaning of nothing in the dictionary, it means nothing. Right? It means, it means nothing. So Paul's saying do nothing. Do nothing. Don't do anything out of rivalry or conceit. Basically what he's saying here is do nothing for vain glory. Do nothing to elevate yourself. But then also he's saying, do nothing out of rivalry. So, so if you're trying to just make yourself look better than the person across the aisle, stop it. Cut it out. Right? Right? If, you, if, you're just trying to, if you're just trying to get that thing or buy that car or buy that toy, right, so that you're better than your neighbor, so that you got the leg up on them, you got the better boat, which by the way, if you bought a boat, I hope I get an invitation. Just shameless plug, Okay? Right? But, but he, he's, saying, he's saying, knock that off. 
right? Do nothing out of, of, of rivalry or conceit to elevate yourself, right? Do nothing to elevate yourself, right? That's not the point of this whole thing. And then we get to the positive, right? C- count others more significant than yourselves. So don't place yourself on a pedestal, but do everything you can. Do everything you can to elevate others. Do everything you can to count others as more significant than yourselves. So don't try to elevate yourself, but do everything you can to count others more significant than yourselves. Turning point. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. Count others more significant than yourselves. Negative, positive, turning point. In humility. In humility. If pride is the shackles, humility is the key. I would go as far as to say, we don't truly know who we are until we're walking in humility. We don't truly know who we are until we're walking in humility. So here's a definition of humility I heard about five years ago that rocked my world. And it goes a little bit like this. You've probably heard this if you've spent any more than five minutes with me because I just love this definition. An accurate view of myself directly related to a high view of God. Now, I want to show you what that looks like and then we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Okay? Show you what that looks like and we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Anybody in here ever played football? You have? Okay, come up here. Real quick, real quick. All right. What's your name again? John. John. Okay, good. John. John, where'd you play? Uh, Thornton Academy. Okay, John was a regionally successful football player at Thornton Academy. Yeah. What position? Uh, outside linebacker. Okay, so we're going to flip him around. We're going to put him on the offensive line today. Okay, so, so he's on the offensive line. Can you be my quarterback again? Okay, so we've got the oldest standing quarterback. <laughs> Tom Brady ain't got nothing on this guy, okay? Uh, right? All right? And so, and so John is, is going to keep me from my target, right? Herb is, is my target, all right? That good-looking quarterback back there, that's, that's Herb. That's my task, right? As a defensive lineman, my task is to get through John so that I can get to Herb. And so to illustrate this, right, Herb is God's best for me, right? Herb is the best reality, Right, And if we'd had a defensive line, then the Patriots would have another Super Bowl right now. But that's beside the point. right? So, so my job as a defensive lineman is to get through John to Herb. Issue. Shackles. How's that going to work for me? If we line up, and I start, we're not really going to do this. <laughs> he started to get in position like he was ready to... Deuce, you would take advantage of me like that? Of course I have Come at me. No, I'm just kidding. That's not going to work very well for me. Because I think I can do it all on my own. Because I think, oh, I can handle this, right? I can make this commitment. I can handle this credit card. Oh, I can go into this relationship even though he's not a Christian because I can save him. Ooh, ooh, mm. We'll back out of that one. Right? And all we're doing when we 
Say, I, 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 as we're tying that shackle tighter, tighter, and tighter. But then when we recognize who we are in relation to who God is, right, we can unshackle ourselves a little bit. Wow, that feels amazing. <laughs> now we can preach because I can use my hands. <laughs> yeah, your dad just said you're in trouble, John. <laughs> Better listen to your daddy. All right, right? And so now, now someone puts God's best in front of me. And it's much easier for me to handle what's in front of me. To handle the debt, to handle the relationship, to handle the, 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 the lack of time management, to handle whatever mess I've gotten myself into out of pride, out of shackling myself in pride. I'm now free in humility to get to what God's best is for me. He can't stand in my way. Right? Then it gets even better. Just to show you how awesome God is, this is for free. Then we start to pull dad up. Come here, dad. Come here, man. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come here. Come here. You, you can get right here. Yeah, you're going to get right here. You want the first shot at him? You can go first. Okay. Um, that's incredible, right? Because now, now God's put people in my life that's like, hey, let me take care of your light work, right? Okay, and so, and so now, right, we're gonna, we can all, right, plow through what was hindering me so that I can get on the other side of what was hindering me and get to God's best for my life. Why are you still trying to take me out? I don't understand it. Give him a hand. Have a seat, have a seat, have a seat. Good job. You see that, though? How pride shackles us but humility is the key to get to God's best three things about humility real quick number one humility is a choice humility is a choice it's a choice it's a choice pride is a shackle humility is a key humility is a choice it's a human decision Jesus made that choice he steps out of heaven, takes human form, makes Himself nothing, goes to the cross, dies a sinner's death. Jesus chose humility. He made Himself nothing. And we make a choice every day to make our lives about God. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, he says, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves in humility every day. Literally, get dressed in humility, in God's best for you. Don't shackle yourselves in pride and try to do it all your own or think you can conquer all of these things on your own. God has given you freedom from those things if we walk in humility. But it's a choice. Humility is a choice. Number two, humility is what we're meant to be known for. Humility is what we're meant to be known for. Go back to what Paul tells the church in verse 3. He says, he says don't do anything from rivalry or conceit. Right? Don't, don't do anything from rivalry or conceit. Don't try to put yourself on a pedestal. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This church is what we are called by God to be known for. To be known for. 
Let's go back a couple hundred years when, when towns were forming. When towns were forming. And the, man, this is just this is, this is awesome. You know how churches got their tax-exempt status? Because back when towns were forming, the, the church was doing so many things for other people. They were feeding people. They were housing people. They were doing all these things for people. The town got together and said, wait a minute, we got to do some things for the church. Hence, tax benefits. So whenever I get to speak to pastors or church leaders, I, I say, listen, listen, what would it look like if we earned back our tax status? If we were so known in the community for how we loved people, how we served people, how we met needs for people, and not so consumed with our comforts as a church. Humility is what we're meant to be known for. I was talking with a guy on Friday who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And he knows I'm a pastor. And he said, hey, this is a big weekend for you, right? And, and he just keeps going, right? This is a big weekend for you. You're probably going to wear a suit and tie. Like, you're going to probably, you know, like, everybody's going to probably be all dressed up. You'll probably have, you know, a bunch of people at church, you know, because the, the whole Christmas and Easter thing. Like, and you'll, you know, all that, all that stuff. It's a big weekend for you. And I said, first of all, you don't know me well enough if you think I'm wearing a suit and tie. <laughs> and I said, I said, you really think that? When's the last time you stepped foot in church? He said, I've never stepped foot in church. I said, wow, you seem to know a lot about us for never having stepped foot in church. And I said, how do you feel about this quote, Bob Goff? Christians are known more for what we're against than what we're for. The reality is, we're known more for our dress codes. We're known more for our music styles. We're known more for our long-winded preachers. We're known more for our struggling preachers that go through things, life things, because we're not perfect. We're known more for all of those things than what we're for. Hope. Love. Peace. Peace isn't the absence of trouble, it's the presence of Jesus. When was the last time you had that conversation with somebody that needed peace? Humility. Counting others more significant than yourselves. When was the last time you put your others, your neighbor's needs above your own? See where I'm going? You picking up what we're putting down this morning? Humility is a choice. Humility is also what we're meant to be known for. And then lastly, humility. Humility opens the door to God's best. Humility opens the door to God's best. Our greatest experience, listen to me church, listen to me. Our greatest experience lies on the other side of our decision to be humble. God's best is on the other side of your decision to walk in humility. A high view of God an accurate view of who you are and your limitations and your giftings and all, all of that. Your best day is on the other side of that. Listen to me very carefully though. Not your easiest day. Because I'd be mistaken if I promised that. 
Because that's not what Scripture talks about. But your best days, some of your hardest days, but your best days, your best days, lie on the other side of your decision to walk in humility. If I can make it about us for a moment, that's why I believe so much about this church. Because we've said from the beginning of this merger process, these two former churches, that the only way that Summit Church works is if we walk in humility. The only way this works, the only way we get along and yada, 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 Lois, is that when we walk in humility. That's why I can't wait to see more of this, more of this. We had a guy give his life to Jesus in the first service, more of that. Because the church's best days are on the other side of our decision to walk in humility and not push some mistaken agenda. Forgive me if I get a little passionate about that. It's a choice. It's what we're meant to be known for. And it opens the door to Herb. It opens the door to God's best. The worship team is going to come. James chapter 4. The half-brother of Jesus writes a letter. The book of James. Unbelievable book. And in James chapter 4, verses 6-10, through 10, he says this, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Notice there, God is in opposition to pride. You know why we struggle with pride so much? It's because God is in opposition to pride. That is one place God's not going to touch, right? God's not going to work in pride. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. What is James getting at? The same thing we've been talking about all morning. Pride is the shackle. Humility is the key. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I don't know if you're anything like me, but chances are this week's been a struggle for you. I can't tell you how many times this past week I've looked at people and said, it must be Easter. Must be Easter week. Must Must be Holy Week. Must be Holy Week. It's like there's an enemy. It's like there's a John. Right, John? It's like there's a John just everywhere I've turned this past week that's just like, yeah, you want to try to get to God's best? Try and come through me. He tried to come at me like three times, y'all. <laughs> James says, resist the devil. And look at the promise. He will flee. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. What a promise.
What area of your life? What would it look like if you drew near to God? Resisted the temptation, resisted the distraction. What area of your life do you need to place God back in the center of and say, you know what? I'm going to walk in humility in this thing. I'm going to walk in humility. I'm going to take the shackles off. I'm tired of doing it my own way. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. But I'm going to make the choice. And I'm going to count others more significant than me. I'm not going to do things out of rivalry. I'm not going to do things to place myself on a pedestal. But I'm going to walk in God's best. Not easiest. Best. For me. For His glory. Pray with me.